Well, hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Friday, July 21st, 2023, and I'm so delighted to introduce our guest here in a moment, uh, just a, a longtime uh, friend, colleague, and mentor of mine. I still remember the first time I met Dr. Thomas Ice, and I'll have to maybe tell that story if we have time. But uh, really excited to have him on, talking about debunking lies about the rapture. And it's a podcast I've wanted to do for a long time because um, I get a, a ton of emails from people who have heard me speak or listened to you know some a podcast or maybe uh, read something I've written. And they, they do a quick search on the internet and they come up with what they think is this smoking gun evidence that the rapture is false, it's a made-up doctrine, it's never been taught, so on and so forth. And there's no one better to address those myths and uh, debunk those lies than Dr. Thomas I. So I'll introduce him in just a moment. Uh, as we wrap up the week, I want to mention uh, several of the podcasts that we've had throughout the week. Uh, don't forget, we started out Monday with episode one of a new series that we started on Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions. Episode two, by the way, uh, dropped this morning. So those are just uh, you know ways for you to email us your questions, theological, biblical, current events, and then we take some time to answer those emails as they come in in those podcasts. So both episode one and two of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions are out there. Tuesday night this week was our regular prophecy night in the Denver metro area. I think I just checked before uh, the podcast this morning, and we were already up to 7,000 uh, views, counting the live streamers and the people that watch the video or listen to the podcast after that event. That's about as quick as we've gotten up to that level uh, in recent weeks, in just three or four days. Wednesday's our World Events Update with Randy. That's available for you to listen to. On Thursday, I was honored to have uh, Dr. Nathan Jones available uh, for a podcast. Yesterday, we talked about The Mighty Angels of Revelation, fascinating book that he's written, and uh, we're looking forward to having him back on to complete that discussion in the coming weeks. But uh, today, uh, we turn our attention to Dr. Thomas Ice, and uh, uh, Dr. Ice is the director, executive director of the Pre-Trib Research Center. He's an academician, professor, author, conference speaker. We've had the opportunity to share the platform multiple times at various uh, conferences, and uh, just really honored that he would take his time to uh, kind of share with us a little bit today on the podcast. So, Dr. Ice, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. So I want to start by um, just, you know, one of the biggest lies that I hear about the rapture from those who are not dispensational. Uh, you know, they may be believers, they may be students of the Bible, such as it is, but they, they're not really connecting the dots well, and they just have become convinced that the doctrine of the rapture is some made-up theory that originates with uh, a guy named J.N. Darby and some, uh, I guess, demon-possessed gal named Margaret McDonald. Now, tell us a little bit about what the uh, the charge is and why it's uh, absurd. Yeah, that was a charge made by uh, critics of Darby about 20 or 30 years after this supposedly happened. And what you had in Scotland in the 1820s is uh, there was a whole movement, kind of like a Pentecostal charismatic movement, where uh, people would get into trances and they would uh, give revelation, supposedly, you know, about uh, this or that. 
and uh, that was the McDonald family was a very wealthy uh, shipping family uh, there in Glasgow, or actually further west of Glasgow. But uh, there, they had a, a girl. Uh, their daughter was like 15 years old, Margaret, uh, when she uh, did this. She was a very sickly lady. In fact, she died in her mid-20s later. Hmm. But uh, nevertheless, she would get into these trances and do this. So people were coming from all over England and places to uh, check this out. Darby went up and checked it out, and he even wrote an article uh, you know, about it and said that you know it was ridiculous. You know, he totally rejected this. But there are people because, like I say, 30 years later, some guy wrote a, a thing tr saying that Darby got the rapture from that girl. And yet we have on our website, uh, there's two different versions of her. Uh, somebody back then, there were sonographers that would record things. And uh, there are two different versions of this. Uh, and neither version talks about... Uh, a pre-trib rapture at all. And you can go through and read those, those uh, things. So uh, plus Darby had already uh, bought, uh, uh, discovered in his Bible study, the pre-trib rapture, you know, and we, we, I have articles on our website that document this stuff. One of them is a bibliotheosacra article, for example, a uh, Bibsac, um, you know, that, that talks about this. And so, that has been out there for years, especially a guy named Dave McPherson, who uh, <clears throat> I have talked with. Uh, I, I haven't heard from him in years. He's probably dead by now. And he was this wacko guy from Southern California uh, who, when he would call me, you know, uh, I, I could put the phone down for like five minutes and he wouldn't <laughs> even know I wasn't there. You know, <laughs> one of those kind of conversations, so to speak. And uh, but he pushed this because he believed that the rapture cost him his uh, opportunity to go to seminary because he went down to Mexico one time and committed adultery when he was a young person. And it was because of the rapture, supposedly, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't understand. Was it just out of the blue that they sort of connected Darby with this McDonald family or? Uh, I mean, what I understand the historical context there, but what was the what, why did they claim that he got this information about the rapture from from her? Well, uh, because they tried to argue that it is a demonic source, hmm. and so to locate that demonic source, you know, they go to Mark McDonald. So is, is is there any historical evidence that they ever even crossed paths, Darby? Oh, and, yeah, yeah. You know. I, I mentioned a moment ago that yeah. Darby did go up. A lot of people from England. And That's stuff, right. Uh, during this uh, five or six year period where there have a lot of people would get into trances, and she was one of them, and would give supposed revelation, and uh, stenographers would record these things and stuff like that. And Darby came back. Uh, from there and wrote a, an article, you know, saying how this is not genuine move of the Holy Spirit, needless to say. So, so 
I mean, but they, you don't hear them tell that part of the story, right? They don't say no. that he disavowed himself of that, you know, weird, you know, movement, this charismatic, unbiblical, really demonic uh, type of activity. He he disavowed himself of it. So just because he, like so many others at the time, out of curiosity, right. went, they claim that that's when he must have gotten, you know, the, you know, the the information. Yeah, well, there was a whole, you know, it's called the Irvinite movement. And there was a whole movement that lasted up until the mid-1990s. The, the last Irvinite church in London went out of existence. And the, these were intellectuals. And it was basically a charismatic or Pentecostal movement. And, uh, you know, I mean, back then, the only people that could read, generally speaking, and were uh, intellectuals were, were the upper class. And, of course, Darby was from the upper class. And uh, he, he was an amazing person, one of the five most voluminous writers in the history of Christendom. And uh, he uh, won the gold medal award at, uh, in college uh, and for being a the top Greek student and all of this kind of stuff. He translated mm -hmm. the New Testament into five different languages, the whole Bible into three different languages. So... You know, he, he was a very impressive person, but he he was a separatist, and people didn't like that, that, he, you know, he, he wouldn't probably get along with you or I right. uh, <laughs> if, if he was still alive. Yeah. Well, and, I can't and, wait to I can't wait to meet him someday and, and ask him sure. about about this stuff. But I mean, it's really uh, it's just fascinating to me how uh, to what links people will go to try to discredit him, because, you know, I have a Darby translation of the Bible. I have a lot of his books and you know, his synopsis books of the right. Bible. Uh, phenomenal scholar, loved the Lord. Obviously, like anybody, he wasn't right on everything and none of us are and so we just do our best to connect the dots of scripture and interpret scripture in its literal grammatical historical setting and uh and he did that so so i mean why do you think this clearly provably false rumor about darby somehow receiving demonic revelation from a 15 year old continues to have traction when it's been so easily debunked yeah, because people who disagree with the preacher of rapture want to say it has a nefarious source for its yeah. beginning. And, yeah. and and so they think that strengthens their arguments against pre-tribulationalism to try to say that it has this evil beginning. But what's interesting is, it's it, you know, 30-something uh, years ago when I started working with Tim LaHaye and we founded the Pre-Trib Research Center, we did not know of anybody uh, before Darby that taught a pre-trib rapture. And, that, and, and a lot of people don't realize there are over 500 volumes of Greek and Latin fathers that have never been translated into English. Pe people think that they have, you know, those three volume set, you know, of the blue, red, and green paint on the back of, of the fathers, and it's only partial. Hmm. But uh, there are over 500 volumes of, of Greek and Latin, and we have people that have started finding pre-Darby rapture statements all the way back to the, the 100s of people that taught the preacher of rapture of yeah. some, of some uh, source. I mean, uh, for example, I found and had an article, I, I think it was in Bibsec, uh, you know, about a guy in, in the 1720s uh, who taught a preacher, wrote a paper 
in England about a preacher of rapture at the university. And he was the founder of Brown University here in the United States, an Ivy League school. And he is the father of American Baptist history. And he went up and down the East Coast. And other than a book on how to raise money for colleges, uh, his, uh, his books are the source of Baptist history. Yeah, you know, in the colonies, and the only other book he ever wrote and had published was the one on the rapture. Hmm. And uh, I found it at uh, you know over in England. There weren't any copies that I've found except in the Library of Congress uh, in the United States. And uh, so I'm just saying, uh, people weren't looking for a preacher of rapture. Yeah, because I, I, it wasn't widely held. No, that's right. I mean, you've got what eighteen hundred years of of the Dark Ages with Roman Catholicism and you know dominating things. People couldn't read the Bible for themselves, and so uh, it's not at all surprising that amillennialism was was kind of the 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 viewpoint of record, so to speak. But I had to do during my PhD studies under a friend and colleague of yours, Dr. Mike Stallard. I had to do research into this very thing, and we discovered, uh, you know, evidence throughout church history of uh, people who either explicitly mentioned and taught or alluded to a two-phased return of Christ, right. uh, once for the church and once for, uh, you know, to come back to establish his kingdom. So it's by no means a novel view, uh, but, you know, to some extent, I feel like we're kind of Letting them define the argument, them being opponents of dispensational uh, pre-tribulational view, uh, because obviously any good student of theology should know that the only standard that matters is the Word of God, right? Right. We want to have the discussion based on the biblical text, not based on what church history uh, did or didn't say. But the only reason we bring all that up is in defense of the lie that, oh, church history never had heard of such a thing as a rapture or a two-phased return of Christ until you get to Darby and this 15-year-old girl. I mean, it's just the, the uh, you know, every time I get an email with someone who brings that up, I just delete it immediately because one of two things is true of that person. Either they are ignorant and they've not taken the time to do a few quick searches on the internet to prove, to show that this information they have stumbled upon is, has been debunked, or they're an outright liar. And either way, I don't have the time to deal with, you know, people uh, like that. So I don't mean to sound harsh, but it, you know, I did a, a podcast with Prophecy Watchers some time ago with uh, Mondo Gonzalez on, I think he called it the myth that won't die. And it was along some of these same lines. But, uh, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, Bibsack. I just want to let our listeners know, by the way, we're talking to Dr. Thomas Ice, uh, preeminent scholar in the realm of pre-tribulationism, also church history, uh, executive director and founder of uh, Pre-Trib Research Center with Tim LaHaye. But, uh, you know, he's a pretty humble guy. Bibsack is is the uh, the premier peer-reviewed journal in the realm of theology on the planet. I think, isn't it also the longest continuously? Yeah, it is. It goes yeah. back to the 1840-something, early 1840s. Yeah. Th yeah, I think it came out of Princeton at some point, and then Dallas no, took no, it over. Never, no, never Princeton. It okay. was uh, out of Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, but it had been at a number, it had been at Xenia, okay. Pittsburgh, and a yeah. number of other schools over the years, and, and Dallas then, bought it in the 1930s. Yeah, Dallas Seminary, of course, founded in the early 20s, Lewis Berry Schaefer. It was really the beachhead, uh, along with schools like Moody, uh, that helped uh, promote 
uh, dispensational premillennialism. So, so you know, we've sufficiently uh, debunked this, uh, you know, alleged connection between uh, Darby's, uh, you know, expression of pre-tribulationism and this 15-year-old demonically possessed girl. I mean, it would be almost like suggesting that because uh, I'm just trying to think of a geographic name, uh, say someone like Skip Heitzig, uh, who's dispensational and lives in New Mexico, you know, somehow he got all of his information passed down to him from, you know, the aliens that landed at Roswell or something like that. I mean, just because there's a geographic connection does not mean uh, that that's the source of it. So, yeah. So, so we've de- we've debunked that. We've also uh, debunked the notion that somehow you de- you have no record of pre-tribulational understanding of Scripture prior to Darby. That's patently false. Yeah. Well, let, let me just say, no one has ever made a connection uh, between Mark McDonald, you know, and Darby. Uh, it's true, Darby went and heard her, but as I say, he wrote an article you know, uh, debunking, not just that, but all of these supposed revelations that people were getting. Now, see, people were were more open to the possibility of direct revelation in the early 1800s, you know, where the sides, at least as of a few years ago, are more divided now, you know, in in that because of time. And there's just absolutely no connection. So, uh, Dave McPherson and these other guys that have written these endless books and articles supposedly uh, just assume there's a connection. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it'd be and, like uh, I I once met as a teenager. My dad worked in, in Manhattan for six years, actually as a grade schooler in through junior high. And I once, uh, by happenstance, met Muhammad Ali on the streets of Manhattan. That doesn't make me a Muslim, right? Just because I right. just because <laughs> I saw saw him, you know. So yeah, I mean, not only did he is there no connection made, but we do have a record of him, uh, you know, refuting and crit- critiquing that whole M- Millerite uh, McDonald type theology, right? So if That's anything. Right. If anything, he well, the was most, against it. Actually, in the early 1830s, the most popular preacher uh, in London was a uh, was a Irvingite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, people would come from uh, Edward Irving. You know, they would come from all around London, the rich people in their uh, carriages and things, and listen to him. And unfortunately, he died. He was only like uh, 37 years old or something like a tragic life. But, you know, he, he was the one that really got that movement going, you know, the urbanite movement, as it's called. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, a letter, a, a snail mail letter uh, recently from a sweet lady. Um, I She was she's elderly. I could tell because she mentioned her age in the letter. Uh, and essentially, it was three pages handwritten gracious, but you could tell there was a note of concern in the letter because she said she's been listening to Not By Works Ministry. She's heard me talk about the rapture and teach about the end times, but she she had a friend who, who you know, turned her on to some of these anti-rapture groups, and her friend told her about, you know, Margaret McDonald, same old thing, and she said, it concerns me that, that you're teaching this demonically, you know, sourced information about the rapture. And, you know, that really bothers me when people will take advantage of otherwise students of the Bible who are simply trying to study the Word of God and just be dismissive and act like, 
oh, you shouldn't listen to, you know, this Hicks guy because he's, you know, don't you know that the rapture is, you know, from a, a bad source? So so I think we've, we've sufficiently talked about that. I want to encourage people when you hear that, uh, don't even give it credence because uh, the people that would use such an argument, like I said, they're either you know, ignorant in the textbook meaning of the term, or they are just intentionally perpetuating something. It's a logical fallacy, is it not? Such as ad hominem or, you know, fallacious, uh, you know, support, that kind of thing. uh, A guy came out with a book and has written subsequent articles. Some have been published in Bibsack. And he's a post-millennial preterist. And he has found two or three pre-Darby rapture statements, one from the early church, one in the Middle Ages, et cetera. And, and, and he is totally opposed to the preacher of rapture. But, you know, he ar- he argues very strongly that the preacher of rapture has been taught throughout church history. There you and, go. He disagrees with it. Right. It's yeah. just uh, it's just that people, uh, for, for example, uh, starting around 400, you know, when, when, um, uh, not Augustine, not oh. Augustine, but the other guy, origin, uh, origin, origin. Yeah. said away with the thousand years, you know, in like the three nineties or something. And, uh, you had people that w- who were premillennial that wouldn't use the term killiest mm-hmm. or millennialist because uh, they would be considered a heretic. And finally in the, uh, mid 400s in one creed they put it in as heresy you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. even though all of the early church fathers that wrote on this were clearly premillennial and as we found some were pre-trib it, we even found a ah mill guy uh who was pre-trib huh. in the early church i'm just saying they're, they're reading all of these uh you know people that know greek and latin are reading this stuff yeah and that have never been translated. And so there's, there, you know, uh, at, at least people ought to recognize that these views have been around since the church began. In fact, uh, for example, the septa millennial view, that's the view that, uh, that, that probably up until the Reformation and even beyond, probably 80% of church fathers believed this. Mm-hmm. That the earth was going to last six thousand years because the earth was created in six days. A day is with the Lord is a thousand years. You know, I mean, uh, Augustine held that view, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's this anticipation, and you know, depending on the calendar, that we're going to, you know, you know that the, the church age is about to end because of the basic general six thousand year called septimillennial view. And uh, but these are things that have been widely held, you know, by people uh, down through church history. And yet, uh, you know, if you believe in the preacher of rapture, you're supposedly some kind of weirdo. Yeah, you're you're not you're naive, unstudied, that kind of yes. thing. But yeah, just for our listeners, because I know we have a, a quite a, a broad range of uh, audience here uh, that's growing at MBW and uh, Kiliasm, which you mentioned, that's what basically pre-millennialism was called as the view that there's going to be a literal earthly 1000 year uh kingdom and you're right all of the early church fathers held that view certainly the apostles did um and uh and you know uh, origin who we talked about a second ago he's widely considered the father of of allegorical interpretation and or or, uh, augustine who came after him then simply crystallized it in his book city of god 
And so by the time you get, what, 300 years or so removed from the time of Christ, people, Christians, were beginning to uh, essentially fulfill what Peter said they would in his letter, and that is that, oh, he, he hasn't come back yet, so maybe we've misunderstood, and maybe well, he's not literally plus, coming back. Plus, uh, Rome had been conquered. Right, yeah. You know, uh, people weren't amillennial until after 313, and uh, that's that's why people begin to say we're in the millennium, you see, because uh, all people that had the scars from persecution uh before the Roman uh, Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire, you know, we're serving in the Roman Empire now. Yeah. And so that had a wave of optimism. And you went from about, uh, they say, 11% of the empire is Christian to 98% wow. in like 50 years. Yeah. And so that began, to, so the, that's where the idea that the kingdom is now, you know, millennialism and post-millennialism, began yeah. to take shape during that environment. And then they banned Kiliasm, as I say, for over a thousand years. And once premillennialism came back, uh, you know, we've got dozens and dozens of people who taught some form of pre-tribulationalism as we look deeper into their writings. Yeah, email one that I remember from my studies is Emil Gear. He was, yes. what century was he? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, 13th. Uh, no, 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 no. He's like the uh, Later early 1800s. Early yeah, 1800s. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tell you, um, it's uh, it's it's interesting. You know, next time someone tells you, well, you don't see much. Uh, well, first of all, if they say you don't see any pre-tribulational teaching throughout church history, you can just look them right in the face and say, well, you've obviously never studied it because some of the top scholars on the planet have admitted, even if they don't agree with it, they've admitted it's there. But secondly, if they say, well, either you don't see much of it, just say, well, of course you don't, because you, if you taught it in the early days of the church, uh, you'd be, you know, labeled a heretic and burned at the stake. So, I mean, you know. Right. Uh, well, uh, Bob Gundry, even in a letter that he wrote to me, along with a, an appendix and a book that he wrote on eschatology in the 90s, admitted that we had found pre-tribulationalism before that. And he's Mr. anti Pre-trib. Oh yeah, I remember Dr. Walver talking about him in class. You know, but uh, yeah, so uh, so so we can we we really should set aside the entire discussion of was it taught in church right. history? Clearly, it has been. It's it's a minority view at times, but of course, God typically moves in the remnant, right? I mean, Noah and his family were a pretty small remnant too. It doesn't mean they weren't right. So. Uh, so, but the fact is, it is there. So, really, that kind of debunks that notion. And let's get back to what does the Bible say? And, uh, you know, church history, of course, is important, but it's not definitive when it comes to doctrinal matters. And so, uh, we believe that a consistent literal hermeneutic, as Ryrie talks about, will lead one inevitably to a distinction between God's program for the church and his program for Israel. And consequently, just as the church began suddenly and was a mystery and unforetold in the Old Testament, it will end suddenly in the mystery of the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, and, uh, and, and, and that puts an end to God's uh, time period of the church age, and then the spotlight shifts back again to Israel, right? Yeah, well, I, I think, for me, something that's very important is the uproom discourse. 
as you know, uh, 92% of the gospel of John is, or 93% is different from the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. And the upper room discourse is that discourse that Christ gave the night before he was killed right. to, to his apostles. And he unveils the preacher of rapture in John 14, one through three, the first time it's ever mentioned. And what's interesting is everything else that Christ enumerates throughout the rest of the Upper Room Discourse, including John 17 that he did in the garden later, is brand new church age truth. Everything is brand new. <laughs> and the Olivet Discourse was given two or three days earlier. That wraps up Israel. Right. You see, and and people that try to find the rapture and the Olivet Discourse, you know, I'm sorry, it's just not there. Right. Uh, but you go and Christ unveils church age truth. And three times in the Upper Room Discourse, he says, I have more to tell you, but you're not able to bear it. But mm -hmm. when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all things, talking to the apostles. And so the New Testament that follows is uh, are those new things that he's talking about. And the first epistle that Paul wrote, the epistle to the Gentiles, uh, was Galatians in order to deal with that issue in Acts 15. But then his next two epistles, number two and three, were first and second Thessalonians. <laughs> and that is the most eschatologically uh, impacted epistles in the, in the New Testament. And there he is, is explaining early on to them the, the rapture and all of these kinds of things in every chapter in first and second Thessalonians. Yeah. And so he introduces the rapture there. He expands on it in first Corinthians 15, you know, in, in the 52, 53, 54 round in there. And he calls it a mystery, right. meaning it's a brand new uh, truth that wasn't taught in the old Testament. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you also have uh, the other major uh, passage, uh, Goodness, uh, you know, I, I had well Titus two thirteen, uh, John fourteen, first that's two or second that's two, first uh, 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 Corinthians fifteen. Uh, you're talking about rapture passages, right? Well, I'm talking about major uh, rapture passages. I'm, I'm writing an article right now. I can't even remember. I showed you <laughs> that you know, I had a I had a heart thing. Yes, yeah. Back of my memory, so <laughs> why well, don't do debates anymore and things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I still wouldn't want to debate you. Let me tell you that. Oh, well, yeah. So yeah, yeah. let's go back to the uh, the Upper Room Discourse. I, I've often pointed out when I speak that the first reference cr historically, chronologically, anywhere on yes. planet Earth to the rapture was April 1st, 33 AD in the Upper Room when Jesus that, uh, or I guess April 2nd, I'm sorry, April 2nd, 33 AD, Thursday night, uh, in the upper room, uh, when he mentions that, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again to receive you to where I am. Now, they didn't understand it all. It wasn't explicitly right. spelled out until 51 AD when Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, First Thessalonians, as you just said. But I like to point out, too, that uh, I see Galatians 1-4, Paul's first letter, mm. 49 AD, as a reference to the rapture, Christ who rescues us from this present evil age. Yes, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I think even from the very first note, you know, first sentence or two in the first letter that he wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul's already expounding upon this uh, important New Testament doctrine. Yeah, I think there are three major passages that teach it, but there are like 45, 46 references 
in the New Testament to the rapture. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, because of that understanding, which I completely uh, agree with, the Olivet Discourse, which I hold happened on Wednesday of Passion Week, mm -hmm. so that would be April 1st, uh, does not reference the rapture. I know you agree with that. Uh, I probably learned it from you somewhere along the way. Um, and yet people really try to in interject the rapture and church age truth in that uh, section. Uh, and I know there's room for disagreement. People that we both respect and, and would hold in high regard might take a different interpretation of certain passages, but to me, it's much more consistent to see the whole thing as simply dealing with the second coming and the inauguration of the kingdom. Would you agree with that? Certainly, because uh, he's still dealing with Israel, the, the disciples as Israel. And, yeah. But not only that, uh, he, uh, they like to say the passage talks about being taken. Right. Well, and, and I think in the Luke version, it says, and where are they taken? says, where the worm dieth not, and uh, I forget the rest of that. In other words, they're taken to judgment. Yeah. Yeah, well, Luke, I, I've always pointed that out. He, he, so to clarify for our listeners, we're talking about the passage in Matthew uh, 24, and, uh, of course, the Olivet Discourse is repeated in all three of the synoptics, uh, Mark 13 and, and uh, Luke uh, 21. But in Matthew 24, after giving the signs, which I take it are – verses 4 all the way to, you know, 31 when he comes back. Then he gives sort of the application of being ready, being watchful, and he uses the illustration of Noah, and uh, we can come back to that if we have time. But in the context there, he says, um, if we're in the days of uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the, Noah, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Well, right. So in Luke, what's fascinating to me is Luke has an account of Jesus on another occasion, Luke 17, not the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus uses this same analogy of the days of Noah, the flood came, almost the verbatim language, but the text says the flood came and, quote, destroyed them all. Apolumi. So unless <laughs> unless Jesus is using the same analogy on two different occasions to mean exactly opposite meanings, which would be strange indeed, it's very clear to me that the ones taken away in this, you know, account, as they were in Noah's day, were the ones that were taken away in judgment, not rescued. Well, I, you know, I was part of the Jesus movement in the early 70s, and uh, I preached a number of rapture passages from Matthew 20, Matthew sure. 24, knocking at your door, you know. Oh, I, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, but I, uh, Larry Norman's song, yeah, I wish we'd all been ready, was huge. In fact, we used to sing yeah. that almost every time we'd gather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he takes that passage that way. And if you look on his album cover, uh, that where he has the first version of that, he's got Mark 13, which is a parallel to Matthew 24. Correct, you know, yeah. Open, open there. And, you know, that was greatly influential to a lot of people. Oh, uh, sure. T two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd I wish all been we'd ready. All been <laughs> <ready>. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we should take this show on the road, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, the, you know, the Texas two men walking in a field, one taking the other left. And that sounds rapturesque. You can understand why people might go there. But in the context of the analogy with Noah, the ones left behind on the earth in Noah's day were the righteous. The ones taken yes. off the earth in judgment, as Luke tells us, were the unrighteous. So that's right. The rapture passage.
yeah, but I'm just saying everything was about the rapture. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, back in those days. And, uh, you know, it was good that there was a lot of talk about the rapture and all of that. But nevertheless, uh, you know, uh, m music like that often entrenches something in somebody's mind. And that I still love Larry Norman's song, you know, but. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he, like all, like we often do, we might have the right doctrine, but the wrong proof yeah. text, you know? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and that's what was the case with him, right? Doctrine, wrong proof text. So, uh, so yeah, I think the Bible when you begin to look at, and, uh, you know, maybe we can kind of close out here with a couple of these uh, passages, but when you begin to look at the distinctions between, you know, all the passages, because, of course, those who reject the idea of a two-phased return of Christ, once for the church and once for Israel, they believe there's only one coming, right? right. Post-millennial, it doesn't matter. But when well, you some forms of premillennialism as well. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. A historic premillennialism, right? right? See, which is so-called historical premillennialism. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> that's yes. They they're kind of trying to get some credit by coming up with a name, but uh, right. yeah, no, historic premill just doesn't work because um, you know, and and I've, I'm sure you've talked about this many times in your writings and lectures, but you know, basically, historic premill is the view that the rapture and the second coming, which they see are two events, happen at the same time basically right or one right after the well, other right yeah we we used to call that the yo-yo -yo rapture you go down to come right back up <laughs> yeah or you go up but, and come back. <laughs> yeah the yo-yo rapture but here's the problem with it never mind that you can you know show textually in scripture that it's not accurate uh we know from passages like first thessalonians 4 that at the rapture all believers are given their glorified body Right. Right. No, no question. We know from passages like Matthew 25 that uh, at the second coming, all unbelievers, the goats, are cast into the everlasting fire prepared for right. the angels. So if all if these two events happen right in close proximity to one another, as the historic premill suggests, there are all believers are in their glorified bodies. All unbelievers right. are in hell. Who's left to populate the kingdom on earth where Christ is yeah. reigning? It's going to be pretty lonely, I think, don't you? Well, Gundry tries to manipulate it by separating them by a month or something like that. You know, in other words, putting some, you have to put some separation in there. You see, and yeah, but that's a lot of procreation well, happening. I know, in a short you time. talk about not having any textual basis to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, goodness. Yeah. So now, whereas, whereas pre-tribulationalism <laughs> makes perfect sense, we're raptured at least seven years, I think up to seven to 10 years before mm -hmm. the second coming. And during that time, I think right after the rapture, there's going to be millions of people get saved. Just Absolutely. think of all the people that go to church and hear, have heard this or have a spouse, you know, and we're close to accepting Christ. And when the rapture happens, man, all over the world, it's going to be a uniform disappearance. Yeah, uh, from all over the world, and uh, I think millions of people are going to start getting saved even before the tribulation begins. And then you have the multitude too great to be numbered in, in Revelation chapter seven of people who come out of the tribulation who are martyred. Yeah, and so some are, uh, and and it talks about how one third of the Jews at the end are going to be saved and go into the millennium mm -hmm. in Zechariah. Yeah. I mean, you, so you have these kind of details. Uh, that people that don't study the Bible very deeply usually don't factor into their thinking. No, they don't. Yeah, at the end of the tribulation, you've got 
the Jew, the believing Jewish remnant, the, when all Israel is delivered into the kingdom, as Paul said in Romans 11. Uh, and then you've got, of course, the, mar- the uh, uh, believing Gentiles who did not get martyred, who survived, right. hid out in the hills or whatever. And so they'll be the ones that to whom Jesus says, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, and they populate the kingdom. But that's a fascinating point that you just made that uh, that's why I love talking to you. I always pick up things that I really haven't thought much about, but I frequently will say uh somewhat hastily or generically that you know at the start of the millennium it's only believers on earth but at the start right. of the tribulation it's only unbelievers but that's not necessarily true because theoretically no. quite likely you'll have a lot of believers that get saved in that gap of time between right. the rapture and the tribulation so yeah and, and you know they're talking about depopulating the earth and i got to thinking about that they say i have heard i don't know if it's true that uh, the earth population just in the last couple of years, has gone down a half a billion. I don't know that, but I've heard that. Well, just think when the rapture occurs. I don't want to do a number. Uh, I have no idea, but uh, yeah. that's going to reduce the population. I would think by you know somewhere between three quarters and a billion people or more, and then you have a little over half of the Earth's population being killed during the tribulation. So these people that want to see the earth depopulated, tell them just wait a while. <laughs> they they need to, <laughs> yeah, they need to believe in the rapture. Yeah, I was going to call up a uh, a uh, a message I did in Orlando at Prophecy Watchers. It was called uh, "Bloodlust: Exposing the Luciferian Depopulation Agenda." And for that message, I did a little calculating on uh, in, mm. to to take advantage or to, to consider the rapture and here was my calculations uh see if you think obviously okay. this is pure speculation but see if you think it it may may make logical sense i said i started with an assumption that there's eight billion people on the earth we have to start right. somewhere let's assume that i then predicted or speculated i should say that two billion christians are raptured don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say, let's be optimistic, right? And assume, so that leaves 6 billion people. And then I said, let's assume of those, of the ones left behind, 2 billion die in the immediate aftermath of the chaos and destruction that ensues. Because you got to figure auto accidents, plane crashes, yes. building collapses, nuclear plant meltdowns. So let's assume another 2 billion die in the immediate aftermath of the rapture that are left behind. So that means by the time you get to the tribulation, uh, you're at roughly 4 billion people. And then you just look at the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. You've got a quarter of the earth dying at the fourth seal. That leaves 3 billion. A third more die on the sixth trumpet. That leaves 2 billion. Uh, let's assume a billion or so die throughout the the, the day of the Lord's wrath uh, from you know devastation, from Satan's wrath, from God's wrath. So you know by the time Christ comes back, there could only be 1 billion people on the earth, you know? Right. So that's kind of the way my mind, uh, my mind works. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think the, the arguments getting back to our kind of our, our theme or our focus, which is debunking lies about the rapture. I think they make an, uh, you know, opponents of the rapture make a, a exegetical, uh, mistake, uh, kind of like D.A. Carson would talk about, uh, and that is they they assume that uh, parousia is a technical term, right? And and every time they see that word, they think, oh, it must be the same event. But what would you say to that argument? Well, it's not context, you know. In fact, there's a lot of different words that are used for the rapture. Mm-hmm. 
the word, even the word rapture, they try to say, well, that's not even in the Bible. Well, it, it is in the Latin Bible. That's where mm -hmm. we get the term. Because yeah. in Europe, back in the uh, late 1500s, early 1600s, all of these Reformed scholars would get together from different languages. But as academics, they all wrote in Latin. Mm -hmm. So they would speak Latin. And they're the ones, I looked it up in Oxford English Dictionary, 22-24 volume dictionary, and the first use of rapture was in the early 1600s. Wow. And yeah. so uh, that was the Latin term that they spoke about these things. And hardly any of these people believed in the rapture, as we do. Right. You know? And so that that is simply something like Trinity, you know, that, that came into, uh, you know, Christian parlance you know, over time. And so that that is just one of the most sophomoric statements. Oh, the rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, the catching up is, or how Lindsay used to say, you, you could translate uh, caught up as snatch, and we'd be talking about the great snatch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, harpazo, snatched out of harm's way as one of the lexical uh, meanings of that word. But yeah, you know, now, uh, when you talked about the Latin word, uh, what is it, rapire or something? I, I can't remember the exact Latin word, but that's where rapture comes from. Uh, different forms. Yeah, of, yeah, it depends uh, on the the declension. But um, but when you talk about that being used in the 1600s, uh, that's uh, you must be mistaken because rapture didn't come into existence until Darby had a conversation <laughs> with a 15 year old demon possessed girl, and that was at least 200 years later. So uh, yeah, it is well, sophomoric. Um, when people say. Uh, rapture is not in the Bible. I love to, you know, to look them right in the eye and say, you're right. Neither is God or Jesus or heaven or any English word because the Bible wasn't written in English. It's a translation. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the rapture is a English a, word. I've never heard that. That's great. That's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, the Bible wasn't written in English. So, but yeah. when you go back to Jerome's translation of the Greek, there it is, right there in First Thess four, uh, what uh, thirteen or whatever sixteen, whatever the where occurs. So, so yeah. So, well, Tommy, this has just been just a delight. Uh, I think uh, folks need to understand that uh, the Bible clearly teaches a distinction between the rapture and the second coming. Uh, if you compare and contrast the, say, First Thessalonians four with Revelation nineteen, they can't possibly be talking about the same event. Yeah, go ahead. Let me, as we close, let me just point out the purpose of the rapture. Amen. See, it, any of the other views don't have a significant purpose. Pre-tribulationalism ends the temporary church age where Jew and Gentile are co-equal in Christ. You cannot have the 70th week of Daniel where Israel is the instrument through which he's working uh, and uh have the church also functioning at the same time. So this is why the church age is the only temporary age that was introduced, as you implied earlier in the conversation, uh, uh, secretly and not secretly, but unexpectedly from a prophetic viewpoint, and it ends unexpectedly. Uh, and so the fact, the purpose of the rapture is to remove the instrument, the church through which he's working so that Israel can complete her 70th week and fulfill the prophecy, you know, that's given by her. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who may not be familiar, and I suspect most of our listeners are, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel week in Hebrew is Shabua, and it refers to a seven year period, uh, just like uh, 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 Abraham, Isaac, Jacob 
worked for Laban for one Shabua to to earn the rights to Rachel, and then he, the, he pulled the old Schwitzeroo and he got uh, uh, whoever and Leah, I think, instead. Yes. My uh, I'm a dispensationalist, so I don't spend much time in the Old Testament. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, of course. But so a Shabua, Daniel uh, got this prophecy from God in Daniel nine that that, that God had ordained four hundred and ninety years, seventy Shabuas, seventy seven year periods for Israel. And what's amazing is that the first 483 years were fulfilled literally to the day on a yes. calendar, 483 years. The, and the yet, day Christ rode into Jerusalem, and according to Luke, was the yeah. day that the first 69 weeks of years were fulfilled. Absolutely. It's fascinating when you go back to the decree of Artaxerxes and you count it out 173,880 days uh, because the Hebrew calendar had 360 days a year. Uh, and I sat under Honer and, and had to study that. It's yes. The lowest grade I made in my entire THM degree was from Dr. Honer, but he was he was right on and it works out perfectly. So how can you take the final seven years of that 490-year program and spiritualize it away as preterists and others do and claim that it was metaphorical or symbolic. No, no, it's going to be literal. And that, as you said, the rapture takes the church out of the way because first that's one 10, first that's five, nine, we're not appointed to wrath. Uh, yeah. The prophetic wrath of God is, you know, we're not under that wrath. So he rescues us before the wrath of God, not before things get bad, by the way, that's another right. lie about know. the rapture. Yeah. We don't know. And, and a lot of people will try to, criticize the rapture by creating a straw man and claiming that we're teaching that, oh, you know, we're going to be rescued before it gets bad. Well, that's also naive and and sophomoric because 2,000 years of church history has shown that believers and brothers and sisters in Christ have suffered immensely for the cause of Christ. So Millions we're not, have died. Millions. And today, too, they're dying. Uh, you know, that's so right. the rapture doesn't rescue us before it gets bad, quote unquote, as some people suggest. It rescues us before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath. Uh, and then the spotlight shifts, as you said, back to Israel. If you think of us, the world as a stage, you know, Israel was was act one, just to simplify it. The church is act two, but there's a third act coming, and that's Israel. And uh, God's going to put them back center stage again. So, but that is the purpose. It's to, to, to end this temporary age with the church. And uh, so praise God for that. So I hope uh, if you're listening to this, that you are ready and watching and eagerly awaiting, uh, as uh, the New Testament says, um, for the return of Christ. If you're not, it's a simple matter of faith. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the punishment for that sin is eternal separation from God and a literal place of torment called hell. But God has made it possible for no one to have to go there. He's paid the penalty at the cross. Christ Jesus is the uh, propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And any who in simple childlike faith receive from him the free gift of eternal life purchased with his own blood can be forgiven of their sin and have eternal life. So I hope you'll trust in Christ today if you haven't already. For those of you that know the Lord already, uh, continue to, uh, to, to look toward the east, right, Tommy? Yep. It's it's going to happen, you know. Someday, one day is going to be today. That's what I Larry, say. Larry Norman had a song that said, "If you look to the east, you'll see the beast rise." No, that was another group from San Antonio, and it goes, "Don't take the number." Don't take the number. <laughs> Don't take the number. Amen. <laughs> well, we'll have to do this again. I know you're uh, one of the busiest guys on the planet with your writing and research, but uh, I'm looking forward to speaking again this year at pre-trib, the pre-trib conference. So I want to mention that before we close. 
uh, folks can co- go to pre-trib.org pre-trib.org and that's where you can learn about uh, Dr. Ice's pre-trib research center and the annual conference that they put on how many years now has that been this will be our 32nd straight year 32nd straight year wow praise god yeah and so uh I've spoken a few times there speaking again this year on uh the uh spirit of the false prophet hacking and we've, we've had at least 80 members die during those 32 years wow well wow. including Dr. LaHaye the first time I ever spoke yes, at your conference right. was the 25th anniversary which I think was the year that he died if I'm remembering well right. uh no it'd be the 27th 27th uh, okay yeah that's yeah. right yeah so yeah, it was just uh, it's just something I remember. That's when I first met you. I mentioned that at the in the I introduction. Uh, I was at uh, in academics at the time and uh, had not heard of pre-trib, but a f- few fellow faculty members uh, went every year from the College of Biblical Studies, and uh, they said, "Hey, you should come with us." I went up, and it changed my life. That's where I met Mike Stallard. That's where I decided to. Uh, I was planning to go to Southwestern for my PhD. I'd been accepted uh, and was all but ready to enroll, but uh, the Lord used that oh, providential I encounter. Didn't know that. Yeah, That's yeah, oh yeah, no. I was, I was, you know, getting ready to start the French and German, and I'd taken all the entrance exams, and um, but through that providential meeting at the pre-trib conference with Dr. Mike Stallard, it changed my direction. Wow. It changed my life. I mean, he really. Yes helped me mold and shape my thinking in so many areas. Uh, and then began, you know, coming whenever I could through the years. Um, but, uh, you know, started speaking uh, when you first asked me to speak, you know, uh, several years ago, and I've had the chance to speak a few times. So if folks want to attend, it's open to the public, right? They can yes. register. And uh, uh, if you register now, you get a better price because uh, right. uh, early registration you know, is one price and it goes up. So pre-trib.org, it'll tell you all about the conference. Uh, who are some of the other speakers? Uh, you got Jeff Kinley is going to be the keynote. Dr. Jeff Kinley, we have, a ban- we have a banquet on Monday nights, and he's going to be our banquet speaker. Okay. We have a little little music and stuff otherwise we don't have music <laughs> right yeah uh, andy woods yeah uh, randy price uh mike vlock scott gallatin uh calvary chapel guy yeah uh, jb J. hickson you ever heard of him i've heard of him he, he's uh i agree with most of what he says but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know i remember listening to one of my sermons and i found three things i disagreed with me on but nevertheless <laughs> uh <laughs> Lee yeah. Brainerd, uh, Oliver Olivier uh, Melnick, uh, Jesse Randolph, uh, me, and Dave Reagan. Wow, what a lineup. I don't know how in the world I got included in that mix, but uh, can't wait to hear some of those speakers. Uh, what a great conference. It's December uh, the 4th through yeah. 6th, and uh, we start at 8 on December 4th. It's a Monday, and we get out at noon on December 6th. On the 6th, so Wednesday all day, Tuesday all day, and then half a day on Wednesday, yes. December 4th through the 6th. Check it out. I'll be with uh, Randy Price uh, in next, or in September at a conference in Fort Collins. I'm looking forward to, to that. He and I have done a lot together through the years. But uh, anyway, thanks again so much. And as always, folks, thanks for listening. If we can ever help, reach out to us at notbyworks.org. Uh, I want to remind you that tomorrow morning, uh, that's a, a rare Saturday podcast. Uh, we've got a, a new sh- uh, limited series that we're doing with my 
uh, friend and geopolitical expert, Randy, on how to prepare. And tomorrow's episode is the inaugural one of those. It'll be how to prepare for an EMP or cyber attack. So I encourage you to look forward to that uh, tomorrow morning. But until next time, God bless you, everyone. And thanks again, Dr. Ice. You're welcome. See you here, there in the air. Amen. God bless.